Welcome to the Habits and Hustle podcast, a podcast that uncovers the rituals, unspoken habits, and mindsets of extraordinary people. A podcast powered by Habit Nest. Now here's your host, Jennifer Cohen. So today on Habits and Hustle, we have Drew Hanlon, who is uh, an MBA skills coach and probably the best, one of the best in the world, <laughs> if not the best in the world. Um, for those of you who uh, need to understand more about what exactly, like me, what does a skills coach do versus a strength and condi- conditioning coach? Yeah, so basically there's on-court and off-court. So a uh, strength and conditioning coach is somebody that focuses on kind of building muscle mass or building kind of performance movements and routines. So those are the people that are you know, helping you jump higher, run faster, you know, accelerate, decelerate, um, basically managing your body. For me, I'm managing your game. So I'm the one that's helping players learn how to shoot, uh, learn how to dribble, learn how to do different moves. And then also I do an analytical and strategic component, which is like the um, video work so that we can make adjustments throughout the season. So, you know, pregame scouting reports, basically saying, hey, this is what you have to look out for for this team on this certain night. And then after the game, providing them with video um, just to say, hey, here are the things that we could have done better so that they constantly you know, progress throughout the season so that they're at their best when they need to be at their best when it comes playoff time. So you're a really interesting cat to me because people, people have been telling me about you for a while, and I'm really ha- that's why I'm even extra happy that you're here. But you started your business. Your business is called Pure Sweat, and you started training like, NBA athletes at 17 years old. So how did you know at such a young age, when you were, by the way, a baseball, uh, basketball player yourself, so how did you even start a business so young and have the wherewithal to even know that it had legs like that? So it was actually funny how I started. So um, when I was in high school, I got a car that had a lot of miles on it, mm-hmm. um, 180,000 miles, and it wouldn't start if it had rained the day before or or was snowing. And I was from St. Louis, so obviously that could be an issue wow, during right. the winter. And so um, I remember that I would always, like when I was on dates, I'd almost leave my car running because I was like, I don't want to have to go out and jumpstart the car and whatever. So right. I was like, you know what? I need to get a job that can buy me a new car. And so that's what kind of made me want to go into, you know, any kind of field that brought me in enough income to buy a new car. And I was one of those guys that I was an entrepreneur when I was young. I was doing lemonade stands and instead of charging a quarter, I would charge 30 cents because I knew they'd give me 50 cents and you're not gonna ask a little kid for two dimes back. And I I did the grass cutting where I would bring my friends on, I'd run door to door, knock on the door and convince my friends, hey, you guys cut, you trim, and I'm gonna be the one that gets us the next person so that we can constantly just go where they're doing the work, I'm doing the kind of sales. We do shoveling snow to the point where we shoveled so much snow, we bought a snow blower machine to make it faster. So I was a young entrepreneur. So then when it came time to get a new car, I was like, all right, now I can't just do the kind of hustling door-to-door stuff anymore. So I saw that there were referees, they were looking for referees at this local you know, uh, facility and they were paying $18 an hour. So I was like, $18 an hour as a you know, 16, 17 year old, that's like a million dollars, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I showed up to the facility and said, hey, I'd like to apply. They said, well, the guy that you have to apply for, uh, Matt Brobex's name is not in right now. And I said, okay, can I have his contact information? They said, perfect, and can you leave a note? So I emailed him, didn't get a response. I called him, left a message, didn't get a response. So I showed back up to the facility, and I was like, hey, is Matt Brobeck in? They said, no, he's not. They said, you know, uh, he's not in. I said, where is his office at? They said, downstairs. 
well, being naive to kind of how the business world works and just simple etiquette, um, his door was unlocked, his office door. So I opened it up, went in, I uh, took one of his sticky notes and wrote a note. Hey, I know you got my email and voicemails, call me. So a couple, maybe like 15, 20 minutes later, he had called me and said, hey, sorry, I was out for lunch. Like, why do you want this refereeing job so bad? I said, $18 an hour. He said, um, you know, well, let's find a time where we can meet. I said, well, you're at your office right now, so I'll see you soon. And I just went up to the facility. So he was like, listen, I've never seen somebody so persistent, but you have to have like referee license. Like, have you done any of your like, you know, officiating camps and this and that? I said, Pro I promise you I'm a basketball player. I can do a better job than the refs that like are screwing me over on the daily. Right. And uh, he was like, he started laughing, but he was like, that's not good enough. You have to have like some certificates. I was like, man, he's like, why do you want it so bad? I said, 18 bucks an hour. He said, listen, my son's tired of listening to me coach him. Why don't you coach my son's team? And I was kind of like, well, what does that help me? It doesn't help me get my car. And he was like, I'll give you 18 bucks an hour. So I was like, no longer am I a referee. I'm a coach <laughs> now, like all in, I'm a coach. And, um, and then through coaching his son's team, um, I started having access to the facility. And so there was two games going on on the two courts and I was on the third court and I was working my butt off. And I was, I was known around the area as like, a, like the hardest worker. And so uh, one of the parents, um, George Baker from court two came over to me and I was hands on my knees, dripping in sweat, bent over. He came over and like literally scared me, put his arm around me. I kind of jumped a little bit and looked back and he was like, listen, I've never seen somebody work so hard. He's like, can I pay you 20 hours to put my son through that exact same workout? And I was like, no longer am I a coach. I got a $2 pay raise. Now I'm a trainer. So it, it literally happened oh, wow. just because I was working really hard. Um, and then I started training kids and, and I saw how bringing them success brought them happiness. And, and then I started actually studying the, you know, the craft of training. Because at that point, all I was doing is I was obsessed with Michael Jordan. So what I would do is I would use... VHS tapes, this is ever since I was really, really young, like when I was younger, I'd put VHS tapes, I'd record the game, whatever Michael did the night before, I went and practiced that in the driveway the day after. Well, this was past when Michael Jordan was still in the game, so like YouTube was starting to kind of come around and there were some sites that would like post some clips of games. Um, but what I would do is I would just get my hands on as much footage as possible and uh, study the game. I would write down everything and just start kind of training kids. And uh, one of the kids that I started training locally, Brad Beal, uh, he was 13 years old. I was 17 years old. Um, I started working him out. He saw a big jump in his game. Now he had grown a couple inches. He had always been a hard worker. He had, you know, his mom and him had been in the gym forever. But you were um, a kid. That's what's so crazy to me. Like you were like still a kid. Yeah. But it, for me, it was it was always like, I always look at this and, and it comes from kind of my family is always big on the more people you help, the more you help yourself. Yeah. And true. so I was like, if I can just impact people's games, then I can impact their lives, which will ultimately impact my life. And so, um, he was 13 and you were 17. I was 17. He saw, a, he lifted with his brothers, grew a few inches, perfect storm, but he went from averaging like nine points a game as a freshman to after that summer to 24 points a game as a sophomore. He went from like unranked to ranked. And as his career took off, my career took off alongside. And wow. we talk about it all the time. We give each other so much credit, but like we just grew together. And from there, whenever you get crazy results like that, everyone else in the right. area wants to follow. Then it becomes a Midwestern thing. And then it becomes a kind of a all around the nation. The top high school players were like, what are you guys doing? We want some of that action. And uh, then I found myself working out, you know, NBA players and top college players and top high school prospects when 
I was, you know, freshman, sophomore year in, in college and, and everything else is kind of just word of mouth spread and one client leads to the next. And, and now it's, it's fortunate enough that it's kind of mainstream now where, you know, top players seek me out and, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to help them. So who does? So the, do the players hire you or <clears throat> do the teams hire you? It's mainly players. I prefer it that way because if a player comes to me and seeks something, then their willingness to learn is just a different kind right. of buy-in, you know, because there's, you need buy-in, you need trust. And, and those things take time. The trust takes a long time, but if they come with an open mind and they really are craving improvement, that's when you can get, you know, insane results in a short period of time. It's when they come and they're like, feel like they're forced, right, you right, know, right. feel like they're dragged there by their team or their agent or their parent or whatever. That's when you, you don't have that same level of buy-in. It's hard to get the trust because they're always skeptical that they're there for somebody else's agenda. Right, so right, right. for me, I try to just, I don't ever seek players out. I let them come to me because when that happens, they have this openness to them. And, um, and then once you get in the gym with them, you see if you're a good fit or not a good fit. And if you are a good fit, you can get crazy amount of results. Like how do you, okay, so you're one person, like you're one, I know you have a, a business and it's, how, you told me before, how many people were, have worked for you though? So we've, we've fluctuated for a bunch, yeah. but like 72 people were under the brand at like capacity, which means some independent contractors, some full-time employees. Um, now we have trainers all over the world. Um, but people want you, I'm sure. So when an NBA all-star calls, they're calling to have you. They're not calling to have probably someone who works with you, right? Kind of, yeah. It's got right. to the point now, it's actually really cool where now I have four or five other NBA trainers under me that um, you know we've kind of mentored and grown and they've learned and they use the same curriculum. So now there are other NBA players that seek out some of the other Pure Sweat trainers, which is really cool oh, for me right. from a mentoring standpoint. But yes, the guys that reach out for me definitely are like, hey, we want hands-on, one-on-one attention for you. And so what I have to do is I just have to find guys that really fit. Like I'm gonna spend a ton amount of time with them. So I have to make sure they're good people first and foremost, and then make sure that their willingness to learn because I don't want to be one of those guys that uh, just slaps guys' names on the resume and takes credit for all the hard work that they've put in before right. me. I just I always evaluate how I've done with a certain player on where were they when I met them, where are they now, and what gap did we take them? You know right, what I mean? what, exactly. What's so, the performance gap? Or, and I think that I think that that's where a lot of my industry struggles um, with is the false promoting. We live in a Instagram era where mm -hmm. if you go to a club and you see a celebrity, you take a picture with them and your caption might be like, great night out with you know Kevin exactly. Hart. And you're like, you don't know Kevin Hart. Well, it's the same thing in my industry. There's a lot of players that'll go in a gym yeah. and the trainers will take pictures with them. And now the whole public is fooled into thinking that they actually work with them. And so for me, I try to really just say, all right, these are the guys I rock with. These are the guys that have actually helped. These, these are the guys that I'm pouring my heart and soul into. These are the guys that are also working their butts off because I'm a big believer that trainers don't make players, players make players, because they're the ultimate ones putting in the work and stuff like that, but we're like the GPS. You know, my job is to say, hey, where do you wanna go? Okay, boom, we punch in that location, and my job is to direct them on the fastest path possible, and if they get off the course, my job is to redirect them so that they right. stay on course. And speed is really what they're paying me for, because the faster I can get them better, then the earlier they can get paid and the way the NBA contracts work, the earlier in your career you uh, have a big contract, then kind of the right, right, incremental right. raises go up. And so, um, yeah, it's crazy how the process works, but I'm one of those guys that's super obsessed. I look at analytics, I look at film, I, 
I'm constantly breaking down stuff. I've hired two full-time videographers to film every workout so that I can go watch, rewatch. No, I workouts, know that's what's amazing. I was going to ask you about that. So, like, what is the pro? What is your process? Like, what makes you besides your obvious work ethic, which is obvious? What are the actual like line by line things that you do to be so good to then be able to like take these people who are already all star players to the next level? So the weird thing is when. When it started out, I was like, all right, I've got to be obsessed with kind of learning the game. Mm -hmm. I was so young that I knew that there were going to be a lot of people that, for lack of a better word, shit on me because I was young yeah. and said, hey, listen, you don't have that experience. And so I had to make up for that experience by kind of like really going deep in the teaching mm -hmm. because I knew that I could never say, hey, oh, I've been an NBA coach for 25 years or I've trained people for 25. Like, I couldn't do that. I can't make up time. But what right. I can do is make up knowledge. And so... Um, I've watched every single made field goal from the last eight NBA seasons, which comes down to basically over a million possessions. It's like 1.1 million possessions. Um, we were doing that one day for a story. We were like, I want to know how much basketball like footage I've actually watched. And that was just stuff that we know. Uh, that doesn't count all the other stuff. So 1.1 million possessions of a basketball game. My God. Have a curriculum that's like 2,800 pages. Um, and so how many hours are we talking? Like how many hours do you think that you've actually... I couldn't even put a number on that. Like, I really couldn't because... Do you still daily watch video? Yeah, during the season, I watch a you, ton. Video, you said you still have a... Do you have two videographers following you yeah. around? So do you then take all that video and then rewatch it? So basically, for, yeah. if you're training for eight hours, are you then going home and watching eight hours? Like, now it's got to the point where I've had people that help me with the process of making me more efficient and effective. You know, I'm not going and watching a whole workout again when you know, they're walking back from the basket. Right. What I'll do is I'll have them trim the fat and then I'll watch the substance. Right. You know what I mean? Same thing in games. Now with technology, there's different programs where instead of having to watch a full game, you know, where you're watching media timeouts and all this kind of stuff, you can trim it down to, all right, well, they were walking the ball up the court. That gets cut out. And so you can watch a full game in maybe 30 minutes. It's so it, it's it now with technology, it makes it my job. I'm so much more efficient and effective with my time. But I mean, I do. If I'm at a game for a client... I'm there four hours before the game. I'm filming their workouts. I'm analyzing if there's anything that, you know, is going on. Because most of the time, the reason I'm at that game is because they brought me there because there's some issue that's going on that we're trying to fix. Then I watch the game live, take notes throughout the game. Then afterwards, I'll go break down that game for them and go over it with them. So, I mean, it's a long process, but I feel like it's the best process to get the best results. And that's all that matters to me. Well, how many, I mean, how many clients can you actually even have at a time if it's such a time? Cause you're basically like, you're not basically making money when you sleep. Like I know you do have a bigger team now, so you can make something of that, but you are basically putting in the hour that you're actually having to make the money from. So how many clients can you have at one given time? Kind of. So my, I have an app, an iPhone app that's available, basically giving all those same processes and strategic kind of workouts. I have an app available for kids and youth players and, you know, professional players on. Um, and then I have a consulting like side for the coaches and trainers. And we just released our first course. We're building out the first ever basketball, like online university. So we do have stuff that's mailbox money oriented, but for me, um, I have 14 clients that are full time, I was like gonna say, full how many service. Um, and then I'll have, I mean, 50, 60, 70 NBA players that scatter through the gym, but they're not my clients. You know right. what I mean? They're guys that just happen to be in LA or happen to be in New York or whatever. So, um, but so I have 14 guys I rock with. So that means like, okay, so we're going to get to all the other stuff in a second, but I'm like fascinated by this. So 
14 people, how many hours someone hires you? Like, let's say I said, I, okay, Drew, can I hire you to help me with my dribble? How many hours are you going to help? Like, how long is the program? I know, is it, do I sign up for like three months, three weeks? No, it's such a relationship business. Like the way I do things is, I first off, I tell them to pay me whatever they think it's worth whenever they want. So you have no fee? No fee. It's like literally they just write me a check whenever they want to say thank you. And that could be any time. Most of the time we do it after the summer where my birthday's in September. So it's like me a too. birthday. What day? September 28th. Okay, mine's the 16th. Yep. So yeah. I, normally we do it around that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a results based driven person person yeah and also but wait a second so then like if, if someone if you bring on a new client they just pay you whenever they want or whenever they want so like it can go like a year and you just never see like a, a, i've had guys i've had guys go multiple years where <laughs> they literally don't pay anything because it's either you know you're talking about guys that are making millions and millions of dollars right and uh and a lot of times they're pulled in so many different ways and so for me one of the biggest issues that i see with my clients is how much financial pressure they have from every other individual in their life. You know, whether it's their family asking for little things that build up to big things, whether it's friends that now assume that every dinner that they go to, that they, you know, that the they NBA athlete should pay, pay yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And so I never want money to come in between us. And so I don't ever want to invoice somebody. I don't ever want to put a dollar figure. What I really want to do is at the end of their career, I want them to say, thank you so much for helping me get the best out of my career. And financially, it always works out. Right. So you, know you, I mean? so you have been paid by a couple people at least by now. All of the guys are paying me. But uh, yeah, when I first started, I remember like I remember when I first started training, um, my first MBA guy um, was David Lee. And I remember he kept asking me, hey, man, invoice me, invoice me, invoice me. And I was like, oh, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Because I didn't even know what to charge an MBA guy when I was that young, you know. And um, and then he and he was very adamant on paying me, but I right. just never given it to him. So then the summer goes by and I'm there all season and. You know, then the next summer starts and I hadn't collected anything because, you know, he had asked me, but then it just kind of went back. And um, and then I remember I was in San Francisco because he's playing with the Golden State Warriors one day and he came out and threw a lot of cash on me and was like, bro, I forgot to pay you last summer. And, and here's this stuff like and I remember as a kid, How I was, was like, it? I'm not going to say that just out of privacy for him. But it was a Damn. lot more than I had ever got paid before. Okay. And it was more so the appreciation that matters to me. And it's weird, but like I have on my phone, I have text messages that are screenshot from like, when guys will get drafted, you know, they might send me a text message 3 a.m. on their draft night to be like, we did it, bro. And I always immediately reply, no, you did it. But like the fact that they even think that I was able to help them mm -hmm. achieve what they wanted to achieve, that's more important than any dollar figure for me. And I think that the, the weird thing in the culture that we live in is everyone's so obsessed with how they can benefit from the situation or how they can make money out of everything. And so I'm not like that. I was, I, I grew up, we weren't broke, but we weren't well off. Mm -hmm. And, but we lived the quality of life that was way above a lot of my friends that didn't have, you know, like we were one of those people that like, we might have Abercrombie back when that was popping, but it might be from a garage sale. And, but we didn't care. Mm -hmm. Like it didn't matter to us or we didn't need the name. Like we just, we needed a basketball shoes and we needed to be able to go to the gym. And my parents just raised me in a way that, like we run an orphanage right now in Haiti. Um, I have a little sister from oh, Haiti, wow. um, Lulu, that's now 13 years old. Um, and it, uh, and she has, like, they didn't think she was gonna be able to walk or talk. She can walk now and she's way past where they thought life expectancy wise, mm -hmm. they thought she might not see her second birthday. And so 
just being in that, like you look at like a water problem in New York City is that like you have to choose between like waters that are like $2 or $4 or $6 or $8 or you go to a nightclub and it's like $15 for a bottle of water. Whereas a water problem in Haiti is like, if we drink this water, we might get sick. Like there's, there's different yeah. problems, you know what I mean? And so I'm big on like stress versus struggle. Like a lot of people look at like, oh, I'm not making enough money or I'm not, it's like, trust me. You know, one of the things my grandma used to always say was, you're never gonna have everything you want, but you'll always have more than you need. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the stresses that most people stress out about and waste so much energy and time on, it's stuff that really doesn't matter. You're not gonna stress about it three months from now, especially three years from now. The real struggles are the only things that ever should even, your mind should ever pay attention to because those are things that, that are gonna be there forever, yeah. you know? so. Um, I never worry about that stuff and it always works out. It's weird how all these people that chase money instead of chasing, helping people mm -hmm. improve, those people might win in the short term, but they sell themselves out and in the long run, they're gone. Mm -hmm. That's so true. There's no <clears throat> longevity or, or... Not at all. Yeah, that's actually very true. So walk me through what would it be like. Let's, let's just stay with the dribbling because it's yep. easy. So if I needed help with dribbling, what would you... So you'd look at obviously video, and then how does your brain like figure out and work on how to make that better? Like, give me a couple. Reverse engineer. That's like the word I use all the okay. time, reverse engineer. So what I'll do is I'll look at the problem and I'll say, okay, I'll identify the problem. Then what I'll do is I'll find solutions for that problem. And I have a long list of them because not every solution works for every player. Mm -hmm. And then it just goes down a process. So I'll say, okay, so say you were having trouble with your control of your dribble, if we're using mm -hmm. your analogy then the first thing I would do is I'd say, okay, here's a drill that has fixed a different client of mine that's worked, and you try that out. If that's not working, the first thing that I have to do is I can't lose you mentally, because as soon as you get frustrated, you're not gonna be open to learning. So what I'll say is, hey, listen, that works out great. Now you're doing this better, but you're not doing this. Really, they might not do, be doing anything better, but I have to keep them motivated to say, hey, listen, the drill I gave you, that was step one. Because I don't oh, know where, right. at, so well, how do it could keep, be step 10 that they get it, but you can't lose them. So so how do you keep them motivated? What's that tip? It's more so the, the mental side right. is so much. Like I, nowadays, as much film as I study, I read so much on depression. I read so much on mindset. I read so much, like all these books because I need to know how to keep these guys not only motivated, but also open to learning, which is hard because the frustration kicks in quick. Mm -hmm. And so what I do a lot of times is being able to pivot is in my opinion, besides the knowledge that I've accumulated throughout my time of studying the game, picking brains and stuff like that of high basketball IQ, is literally the ability to pivot. And what I mean by that is most people stick on something because they're so, it's almost like an ego thing, mm -hmm. where they're so sure that their solution is gonna work that if it's not working, they're like, yo, you're just not doing it right. And it becomes a negative. Whereas for me, it might be something like say dribbling, I'll say, all right, do this. Okay, perfect. Now we got step one. Now we go to step two. All right, so step two is this. Really what I'm doing is step one wasn't working, but I'm just convincing them that step two was all along the plan. And then we do to step two. Okay, listen, now we've got this, but do you notice this? Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. Because now their buy-in is, they're feeling what I'm seeing. And so once they see that we're on the same page, then they can start figuring it out. And then eventually there's that aha moment. And that's what I live for is the aha moments. Because once they have that aha moment, now they know that that process was all to get to the result. And it really doesn't matter if it goes from, you know, step one to step five to step four to, you're like, but it's a constant game of how do we keep them positive and motivated right. and open to learning while challenging them so much mentally, emotionally, and physically that when the game time comes, 
There's nothing that can rattle them. Well, who, name a couple of people. I, I, that's, 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 I, I, everything starts with the head, actually. Everything is mindset yep. and mental. People always think that the physical is just on its own, but you can do anything physically if you have the right mindset and keeping yourself focused. So name, who would you say that you've worked with who's had amazing focus, amazing work ethic, and just exactly what we're talking about? Yeah, so it's crazy. So I've worked with so many players um, but the guys that I stick with are all the guys that do that. So like people are always like, who's your hardest work? And I'm like, if they're still with me, it's because they still, it's because yeah. they work hard. Like there's been a ton of guys, NBA all-stars that have kicked out of the gym or, and the people around me, my team is like, oh my God, you know how much marketing like that person would have brought to, and I'm like, I don't care because I can't stand being in the gym with somebody that doesn't love basketball, that doesn't crave getting results, et cetera. So, um, I mean, there's, and there's different guys. So here's what I'll say. Like you have guys like Zach Levine is a guy that's won two dunk contest championships. I think he'll be an all-star this year. Um, he barely played at UCLA, entered the draft. People were literally criticizing him. They're like, why is he going in the NBA so early? He's going to end up in the G league, you know, the developmental mm -hmm. league for the NBA. And, um, now he's a guy that averaged 24 points a game last year, killed it. Um, his dad was an NFL player and he, the workouts that he does with his dad, are insane and that's what i fell in love with them for before we had ever even worked i had like done my research and they're doing stuff that no one else is doing from the physical side and then you look and he's got a 47 48 inch vertical and you're going that's all because him and his dad put in so much like work what? what are they doing i mean you're talking about like 100 yard one leg jumps like and then go backwards and then do sand pits and their whole backyard they turn into a compound so that he could just work out but like most people when they think of wow. lifting they might go into a gym and they might do a few like you know, yeah, like bench, bench press, press yeah. and do stuff that looks, makes her body look better. But theirs was so much performance driven. Um, you got guys like Brad Beal who, before he went to Florida, we did a hundred hours of basketball training in one month. It was like our thing, like, let's get to a hundred hours. But people just don't do that. Like people aren't obsessed with that a hundred basketball hours. That doesn't include weight training. That doesn't include cardio. That doesn't include film breakdowns, like a hundred on court hours, which is obsessive. And I mean, oh there's so gosh. many guys, to be honest with you, anybody that you look at that has, I, w I was talking with one of the NBA players, an NBA all-star the other day, and he's not one of my guys, um, Victor Oladipo. And Victor is recovering from ACL injury right now. And um, he was watching Joel Embiid work out and was like, man, he's one of those guys I rock with. And he goes, you know, there's, there's a, a players in this league that regardless if you like them or love them or hate them or doesn't matter, you just respect them. And he's like, the, the dudes that just get after it, doesn't matter how good they are, they keep grinding, they keep working. And we talked about that because he's in that category. He's right. one of those guys that is just a relentless worker. And um, we were talking about that. And it, it makes so much sense to answer your question is like the, there's there's a handful of guys in the league that are just doesn't matter what you can say about them on the court. You're just like, we respect you because you're out there giving it your all. Right. You're doing all the extra things. What I call the unseen hours. Yeah, that's what I want to know, talk about. And I coined this phrase a while back. We were looking for kind of... Um, what to call this? Like, you know what I mean? Like you think about so many people put in so many hours that no one knows about and they'll never know about, you know, like for me, there's a lot of people on social media that when one of my clients has a good game, they'll be like, wow, you're the, you're the goat. You're the greatest. Like, thank you so yeah. much. You guys did great work. Well, then the same player struggles three nights later and they're like, you suck. Like, you know, why would he ever listen to a 5'11 little white kid that, you know, only played college basketball. And for me, I pay no attention to it because I'm like, listen, first off, 
the client and I know how much work we both put in to right. try to get the best results. Now, that doesn't always guarantee results, but what it does is it gives us the best opportunity to get results for those, that client. Second thing is, when you, when you think about it, everything that we do in life isn't, I, I mean, a lot of people try to make it now broadcasted, but when your parents go to work, they don't tweet like, about to go to the office. It's because like it's expected, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so in the NBA world, <laughs> now true. since people want to see that footage, mm -hmm. if they're not posting, if they're not tweeting, if they're not Instagramming, if they're, then they assume like, where are they? Are they working hard? It's like, no, there's a lot of unseen hours, hours that are never seen by the public and general population and fans that end up kind of showing what happens when the lights you know, come on in the big stages. Right. So I think that's, we, we, we phrased it, unseen hours and I get, bashed all the time when we post something and they're like, well, they're not unseen anymore because you got posted. We're like, yeah, we understand. But the truth is no one saw me when I used to travel around clinic to clinic. Um, and like I would say I was charging $500 at the beginning and I'd be driving somewhere in Missouri and I'd get paid 500 bucks. I'm not going to spend $200 on a hotel. So what I would do is I would just park my car in a hotel parking lot, crack right. the window. So it got cool and I would sleep. And then, you know, they would eventually knock on the window. Oh, sorry. I'm checking in tomorrow. And then I would drive to a different parking lot. Like people don't see that stuff or people right. don't see that like my sophomore year in college, I never went out one night. And what I would do is I would watch film. I paid my roommate at the time. This was before like Siri was popular. And so I would pay him to type out everything that I was saying. So I'd be watching film. I'd be like, oh, on a jab step, make sure you throw your shoulder, make sure that your chest is up so that you could do that. And he was typing this all. And then I would organize it and I would pay other people to, you know, the yellow meant shooting, the blue meant details on this. I had like a whole weird system to build this curriculum up. People don't see that stuff. More from our guest, but first a few words from our sponsor. Now, probably by now, you guys have all heard about the potential benefits of CBD, right? And probably even taking it yourself. So know this, not all CBD is created equal. Unlike other CBD brands who offer just CBD, Hemp Fusion is CBD plus omegas, plus terpenes, plus other natural ingredients to really help you feel 100%. Now, they do this because CBD actually works best for your body when it's combined with all these other nutrients, which is why this brand really is a notch above most others. Now, I've been using Hemp Fusion for a while because I can have sometimes trouble falling asleep, and it's been really helpful. But they're also really great for stress, energy. There's all sorts of different things that it can be great for. So if you want to get 20% off your first order and, of course, free shipping, go to hempfusion.com and use the promo code HABITS. That's hempfusion.com to get 20% off your first order. And, of course, free shipping. And now to our next sponsor. Say goodbye to endless grocery store trips and takeout food because HelloFresh has you covered. From step-by-step -step recipes to pre-measured ingredients, you'll have everything you need to get a wow-worthy dinner on the table in about 30 minutes. HelloFresh has more five-star recipes than any other meal kit, so you know you'll get something delicious. And for no extra charge, you can change your delivery days, your food preferences, and skip a week whenever you need. Also, I should tell you that not only is it delicious for you, but it's delicious for your entire family. My kids absolutely love the pasta primavera. My husband loves the Mediterranean veggies, and I love anything meat or chicken related. So it's really great for anybody. You also can get $80 off your first month of HelloFresh by going to HelloFresh.com slash Hustle80 and enter Hustle80. 
That's HelloFresh.com slash Hustle80 and then enter Hustle80. Try it. It's delicious. I've been re- researching studies on performance and by how much people work. Because everyone likes to say they're grinding and yeah, working, yeah, yeah. but like, what, how, how much are you really working? Right. People like and that what, word. It's a, ha- it's a cool hashtag, grinding. And what started it for me was actually the NFL. So the NFL, you have 60-minute games, um, you know, four quarters of 15 minutes. And I believe that's right. I'm not a big NFL fan, but I think that's right. And when you boil it down to how much actual like snap into the ball dies, it's like something crazy. It's like seven, eight minutes of actual like in-game mm-hmm. going on because there's so much like play calling, huddling up, et cetera. That's why I'm a basketball fan, not a mm-hmm. you know football, football fan as much. Fan, yeah. But it made me think like, holy, like it was something crazy, like really crazy. I think it was that. It was like eight minutes or something like that. So then when I started digging into actual scientific studies, they found out that 13% of the time that you're at work, you're actually engaged in your work. So That's so, what a crazy small number that is. It's crazy, and you think about it. It's probably less now with social media. Oh. I'm sure it's 3%. It's it's wild, but like when I think about that number, I mean, you're talking about spending days at an office, but it is, it's true because I look at, I'm a big numbers guy. And so I remember why one of my college roommates who now is a coach in the NBA, um, we learned, which is something very obvious, if you sleep eight hours a night and you live to 75, Mm -hmm. 25 years of your life is spent sleeping. Mm -hmm. Well, then we said, if you go to work eight hours a day, then there's another 25 years. Then you start doing the whole kind of like, how much time you spend on your phone, Mm -hmm. you know, five hours a day on your phone and this, you boil it down and you're going 99, 98% for the average person of, of your life is spent either sleeping, working, or on your phone. Mm-hmm. It's like, how much life are you really living? And if Very you look little. at like, if you look at like just even people that say they work really hard, they're like, well, I take off weekends. You're like, do you realize that's over a hundred days in the year? You take off holidays. You take, you start doing this and you're like, so you don't actually really work very hard. You know what I mean? Right, and so right, right. I think when you audit your actions, you start really seeing how much real work you're putting in. And so that's one of the big things that I was big on when I was younger is um, with the results-based stuff was, hey, listen, it, it's, I would go, I'm going to watch this eight hours or 10 hours of footage before I eat breakfast. Because eventually you get hungry enough that you say, I better watch the footage. Right, right, you right. Know, and that's how I did it. It was a weird that's way a to do way it. That's a great way to but... do it. I do the same thing with certain things. Like it's a reward, right? Like your breakfast, that's just an example, is the reward after you put in a lot of hard work. Yep. Right. Because that's a, that's a motivator for you. Like, 100%. It's all about tips and tricks to motivate yourself to work. But also when you love it, like obviously just talking to you here, you can see that you have such a passion for it. Like your work is something that you truly love to do. So is it really work when it's something that you love, love, love to do? So this is weird. So a lot of people are like, so you're obsessed with basketball, you love basketball. The truth is I'm obsessed with helping people. And it's weird, basketball just happens to be my best platform. Right, but right. like, um, you know, there's a ton of business people that I coach, you know, whether they're really wealthy individuals that are struggling with happiness, or whether they're people that are grinding and trying to make leaps and bounds in their business and helping them be more strategic um, and kind of, like I said, audit mm-hmm. their actions and, and manipulate stuff because minimal changes can make marginal yeah. and maximum, maximum results, results, you know? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I just like helping people. Like basketball is, not, I'm not one of those people, it's weird. Um, you know, this year, NBA Finals was going on and I got offered tickets, but I didn't have any of my full-time clients playing and I turned down the tickets. Everyone's like, what are you doing? I'm like. I don't really care about going to the games. Even when I'm there for my clients, I don't really, I don't 
it's not like an enjoyment anymore because right. I'm so in the trenches. And focusing on the, on yeah, the actual so it's, it's a work. So my thing is I love the aha moments. I love that some of my clients were clinically depressed when I met them and now they're 100% happy and off meds now that they've not only improved their game, but they've improved their lives. And so my thing How? is- How did you do that? Just I think because the, they've seen themselves progress and it's given them happiness and Some, but confidence. a lot of it is the off the work court that we, like people don't realize that like most of the time when a player is struggling on the court, it's because something's happening off the mm. court. It's not like you can't have somebody that's, you know, got to this, the, the, I mean, the like not even 1%, like even finer, mm. like of the population make it to the NBA. It's not like they forget how to do all the things that got them there. It's what happens is other stresses are pulling them in directions. Their mind's not all the way there or they're not having fun or they don't like their situation that they're in. or what. And so if you can help them first understand they're blessed. Like that's the first thing that I always do is like when somebody's struggling, I'm like, yo, listen, you are blessed. The second thing I do is to say, would the 10-year-old version of yourself be proud of yourself? And most of my MBA clients are like, my 10-year-old version would be so proud. My 10-year-old version would be a fan of me. Mm-hmm. Like would be like a fan of me. And it just almost brings tears to their eyes. And then you start going, hey, listen, Art, who are the people in your life that sacrifice for you to get there? Don't let them down. Like, don't make this about you. It's selfish if you're out there struggling and not living a a happy life because there's people that literally went to work every day for eight hours on a job that they didn't like so that you could play basketball. So that you, like when you start start realizing and putting everything in perspective, perspective is so big Mm -hmm. to me because- most people don't have a good perspective. You know what I mean? Like there's people that literally stress and struggle about not getting a thousand likes on their Instagram picture and you're like, who cares? Like at the end of the day, like you're not gonna get buried and on your gravestone, like average 1300 Instagram, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter. And, and the other thing is the average retirement age and the average death age right now is 11 years apart. So most people work their entire lives just to save up, just to retire. And when they retire, they're too old to do it. It's like, live your life, you know what I mean? Live mm-hmm. your best life. And so. I try to help them understand where basketball fits in into the big picture. And when they do that, there's so much more clarity that the game is the game, you know? And, and I'm not gonna say his name because he's not one of my guys, but there's a Hall of Fame, uh, first ballot Hall of Famer uh, basketball player that one time uh, helped one of my guys out. And so Brad Beal and I were at a restaurant. Brad was like stressing out about a game and one of the opponents came in and the opponent had a really, really bad game that night and he was out getting drunk. And Brad was like, how is he doing that? Like Brad was a rookie at the time. How is he like enjoying, he just had a terrible night. Like how is that not bothering him? And I was like, ask him. And so I was like, if you don't, I'm going to. And so he came over to our table and was nice enough to kind of mentor Brad for that night and just said, he's like, listen, at the end of my career, do you think people are gonna remember the championships I've won? Or do you think people are gonna remember the random night in December that I went three for 19? No Mm -hmm. one's gonna remember this night. And he was like, wow. You know what I mean? And it's all about kind of what you accomplish in the long run that people are after. It's the lives you impact. It's not going to be the the likes you get. It's the lives you impact. You know what I mean? And so I would way rather at the end of my life have the people that actually know me be like, wow, he really helped improve our lives versus somebody that just says, wow, he lived his best life because Mm -hmm. he lived his, his best life. That's just such an individual, egotistical, I don't know. It's just like, you know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not the right way to live in my opinion. The best way to live for me is how, how many people can you positively impact? And then how does that become a tree effect where if you really positively impact in somebody in a certain way, they'll start impacting other right, people. Right, and right, right. Paying then it forward. Just, exactly. But you, I mean, you seem to have a great perspective. That's, you really do. I mean, who's, 
who's kind of your mentor in all of this? That's a weird thing. Like a lot of people ask me and like in the basketball world, my biggest mentor is my high school coach, Jay Blossom. And people are like, wait, but he only coaches at the high school level. But his big thing that I learned from him Mm -hmm. was one, that nothing can replace hard work. Mm -hmm. And two is that you need to do the things that you don't want to do, but need to do on a daily basis. So for me, like I hated playing defense when I was younger. So he made me play all time defense. It drove me crazy. Like I wanted to transfer, I wanted to quit at times. We got into it at times. But then the reason that I was able to get so many college scholarships was because I was able to play defense. If I had that weakness still, I would have never had the opportunities to go do what I wanted to do. And- So he made you focus on your weakness. Focus on the strengths and weakness. His big thing was like, hey listen, strengthen your strengths, but don't have vulnerability. So I use a SWOT analysis now with all my clients. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Strengths are what are you really good at? What do you get paid to do? You know, for right. some people that shoot, some people that's defend, some people that whatever. We got to strengthen your strength because that's what they're paying you to do. That's what your team, you know, drafted you for or, or traded, you know, for you mm-hmm. for or picked you up in free agency for. Weaknesses, we just list out the weaknesses so that we're aware these things we're currently not good at. Opportunities, where, what are things that we currently don't do in our game that we can add to our game that could help our game expand mm-hmm. and grow? And then threats, what are things that could keep us off the court, keep us from getting that next great contract or kind of hurt mm-hmm. us in the long run? And so first thing we do is we actually look at the threats because those are the things that could keep us off the court. So if you're a bad free throw shooter and your coach can't play you in the fourth quarter because you're a bad free throw shooter, well, that's going to really hinder the whole team's performance. So that's the first thing we'd work on. If, if you struggle going left, well, that could hurt your whole game. So we work on those. So we focus on getting rid of threats. And then after that, then we keep strengthening our strengths. And then we kind of work on kind of opportunities to grow. We never really look at our weaknesses. My thing was my defense was a threat. It could keep me off the court. It could keep me from getting scholarships, et cetera. So there's other things like I wasn't a great rebounder because of my size and natural stature. We weren't going to work a ton on rebounding because it didn't matter how hard I worked. I was I would be wasting my time right, because well. I could more efficiently, and effectively use my time. But you were super. You were also a, like a very superstar basketball player when you were in college. <clears throat> so I played. Yeah. So in high school, won a state championship. It was great. That's all I wanted to do. But I wanted to do it for my coach. He had been such a great mentor that I was right. like, oh, yeah, gotta high. win this high school. Oh, state the high school, right? Yeah. And then in college, um, yeah, I played in two NCAA tournaments. Um, you know, shot forty nine percent from three, which was. Uh, you know, one of the leaders in the country, which is still top 40 all time in NCAA history. Um, but again, going back to the thing that we talked about mental state, my senior year was when I like shot lights out and, um, in, in college. And it was because I had, I knew I w- it was going to be my last year of playing mm-hmm. basketball. I, de- I decided I wasn't going to pursue overseas opportunities. I was going all in on the training and helping other athletes kind of reach their, uh, you know, goals. And so I played with such freedom and such confidence. I wasn't worried if I missed a shot, I wasn't looking over the bench. I was like, it's my right. last go around, I'm gonna enjoy it. Same thing in high school, I would like, I had so much stress and pressure to get college scholarships that I was always so laser focused on stats and results and whatever because I knew if I had a bad night, if a coach was there, he might not come back. And so then before my senior year, I committed to Belmont well, now senior year, I got to play carefree because I didn't have to worry about scholarships. Right. So I think that there's, I learned from doing what I preached not to do, where I put so much pressure on myself and I was so kind of uh, result-based driven in a bad way, instead of being, hey, listen, we know what the result we want to get to, but let's focus on the daily actions that actually lead up to mm-hmm. that. 
And my senior years in high school and college, I learned that. And now in the business world, I'm so process focused that it puts so much like less pressure on you. There's no stress. Like you're not constantly analyzing, are you there yet? Are you there yet? Are you there yet? Because like, think about how miserable you'd be if you were on a road trip and your kids in the backseat. I don't have any kids, but I do. Like, and it happens all the time. Yeah. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are you you're like, no, hey, we'll eventually get there. Well, then think about us grown adults. Like we do that all the time. It's like, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We, oh, this person got a new watch. We don't have a new watch. This person got a new house. We don't have a new, we're constantly comparing ourselves. Yeah. It's like, hey, eventually you'll get there if you stay on the right path. If you stay, right, if you stay on the right path. <clears throat> is there anybody that you can think of, well, I'm sure you have, in the NBA right now that you would like to work with, that you or that you know have a really great work ethic, that have all the, the traits and the qualities that you would look for to work with somebody? Yeah, it's weird. So, like, I literally don't seek out players. But I know, but Giannis, if, who was the MVP, okay. for, like, four years ago, I was I, I said it on a podcast, I was like, man... I can see where this guy's going. I love his work ethic. He's so good to his brothers. Like he's basically made sure all of his brothers succeeded. And like everyone, it's a very known thing that like he needs to improve his shooting to take his game to even another level, even though he's at an MVP level. And I've always been like, I wish I could help him with shooting. So he's the only guy that I've ever like publicly said, um, just because everybody rants and raves about his work ethic. Everybody rants and raves about how he is as a person. But you still, why and I see the one. Why wouldn't you approach him then and say, I can really help you or. Yeah, I just, I think it's one of those things that if it's supposed to be, it'll, it'll be. And I think that there's, um, you know, there's been times where I put together little film projects and sent them over to, you know, his team of people and stuff like that. Um, it just hasn't worked out. And, and I'm big on like, you're always where you're supposed to be at the exact right time with who you're supposed to be with. Like, I'm just a very, I feel like that's the best way to be just like calm and not so many people are constantly seeking that next thing instead of just letting it happen. And I feel like if you focus on just doing really good work, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't, but it doesn't bother me either way. Right. But even though you can still be doing great work and doing everything and still look at somebody and say, you know what, I think <clears throat> because of what I'm good at, I think I can really add value to that person's life. I don't think that's not accepting it. It's just more. No, I agree you, with you. You know sure. what I mean? You just I agree don't want to. It's just weird. I, I really do believe that the best way to help people is is be in the right spots and let them eventually come to you. Come to you. And it's and it's weird. There are times in in the business world or in life where you know you'll see a certain friend or somebody that you'll reach out to because you see that they're struggling and you mm -hmm. have to navigate that path. But um, I also think that there's like I said, I talked about the buy-in things. And I, and one of the things I learned from my best one of my best friends, Matt Hardy. He's one of my high school friends. Mm -hmm. We're so different in the aspect of I am hyper competitive when it comes to business. I'm hyper competitive when it comes to everything. Like I'm one of those people that, you know, you can't play a game with without me trash talking, without me. Like if we do something like there's a new game invented tomorrow, I will literally go study what are the best strategies to win it. Like that's how I am. I don't play video games because I suck at them. You know what I mean? I just don't <laughs> like losing. Whereas he is someone that's like, hey, listen. Like, I want my normal job. I don't really care what my job is. I want to be able to have time for fantasy football, watch Netflix, etc. I don't watch TV. At all? At all. I don't ever watch TV. There's not one show that you like to Nothing. watch. Nothing. I don't watch movies. I, I like literally like for, I don't do anything. I don't, I've never tasted alcohol. I'm 29. Never smoked. Never tried it. Like, I gave up sweets from 12 to 22. Didn't Why? have one sweet. It's just for me, it's all about knowing that you have a mental edge over somebody. So like when I was in high school, the two things I did was when I was 12 years old, I gave up sweets. Um, at the time, the Missouri basketball team, who my dad graduated from University of Mizzou, so oh. um, I was a big fan of theirs. Right. And during the NCAA tournament, their 
basically they told their players they weren't allowed to eat sweets because it helped their performance. Like sugar, they wanted their right. sugar lower. And so I was like, I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna do it for a month. I'm gonna do it with them for March Madness. And that one month became 10 years. So I didn't have another sweet until I was done playing college basketball. So I literally never tasted, like, I mean, I know that there's sugar in bread and, well, and, yeah, and but, fruit, right. but like- Do you eat fruit? Now, now I do, but I'm saying when I was playing those 12 right. or 10 years, I didn't have ice cream, candy, birthday cake, Snickers, not, not soda. I still haven't had soda since I was 10. Um, but like, I'm just weirdly obsessed. I used to wake up at 4.59 a.m. when I was in high school and shoot a thousand shots before school every day. And if I didn't make 850 out of 1,000, I redid it at night. But knowing that, doing simple math, oh God, you're saying, okay, if I'm getting 365,000 shots a year, I'm getting, you know, in my high school career, over a million shots. Well, then senior year in college or, you know, in high school, I shot 44%, I think, for my career. In college, I shot 41% for my career. It's like, okay, it was worth it. So do you think that uh, work ethic is more important than talent or is it equally important? I think strategy and work ethic are the two things. I think most people think that talent, and I think that there is something with talent. Like if I was six, seven, I would have a lot better chance of being mm -hmm. a great basketball player. So I think that there are niche injuries or niche, uh, like industries that need different things. So like if you look at, um, you know, being a doctor, I think it's all about like strategy and then work ethic. Mm -hmm. If you look at professional athletes, if you look at comedians, if you look at, basically if you look at that little, Kind right, of, right, right. I feel like you have to have something in you. You know what I mean? That it factor. I always talk about the it factor. Yeah. Like people, I'd be like, "Why is Michael Jordan the best basketball player ever?" I'm like, he just when he was down, the Bulls were down 15, entering the fourth quarter. You had a room full of people, and you looked around and said, "Hey, I'll bet somebody a thousand bucks that the Bulls win." Even though they were down 15 at the time, no one would take that bet because they just Michael Jordan had that it factor that you knew he was going to figure out a way to win. Right. Same thing in life. I feel like there's people that have it factors, but I feel like it's strategy and then hard work. And I think there are some professions that you do need to be, you know, you have, yeah, you have to have talent, but. But look at Stephen Curry. I mean, he's short. You keep no question. You said if you were six, seven, how tall <clears throat> is Stephen Curry anyway? Six, three. Okay, he's still taller than you. Okay, <laughs> yeah. but he says four inches on you. But still, but I heard his work ethic is Crazy. so off the charts. Like he was, before he even trains, he's already training for two hours and, and shooting and shooting and yep. getting that swish where she doesn't touch the rim or... No question. I mean, so if that's the case, obviously he has talent, you know, through the 100%. roof and he has the work ethic. Yeah. And I'm not saying talent isn't important. I, I do think that people are born with certain things. Like, right. you know what I mean? I feel like they're like for him, his dad was an NBA player that's, and now oh, him right. and his brother are both NBA players. I think there is a talent gene. Also, they were surrounded by it. So they probably grew up to love it. You know, his dad was a great shooter, so I'm sure that he taught him, you know, mechanically. So right. That's the strategy part of it. So I'm not saying that you can't overcome. But you were doing a thousand shots, you said, a day. I would, I'm shocked that you're not in the NBA. But also, you chose again, I think that there's two you. things. One thing is, if you look at college, I actually shot better than Steph in college. So if you look at just college numbers when we were both, yeah. like, you know, that was one thing. But the second thing is, I think the mindset piece, and I ask myself all this time, I almost gave up on the NBA because mentally I didn't think I could get there. And so I've asked myself a lot of times, are there certain things that we almost say, oh, that's impossible, that we give up, that if we wouldn't have had that doubt or, you know, I always call it remove the floaties. You know, and the reason is because I, I don't like swimming. And so <laughs> uh, most basketball players don't. 
Um, Why is that? Just I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess we just grew just up just on fact. land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But it's literally like remove the floaties. Like it doesn't matter if you jump in the water, you learn, you'll eventually learn how to swim or you're drowned, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to drown. You're going to figure it out. You're going to doggy paddle. You're going to do something. Then you eventually learn how to you know, do the right thing. You can swim. But if you always have floaties on, it doesn't matter how much you practice, you're never going to win mm -hmm. the race. And so Michael Phelps, as good as he was, greatest swimmer of all time, if he competed in those Olympics with floaties on, just a little floaty, he would not have won the races. And so most people, in my opinion, mm -hmm. they have these, these truths that aren't really true. Right, right. And I think that when you remove the floaties, when you remove those false truths, that's when you can really get crazy results. Because I know there's so many times there's people... Like they use, like, I'm not a morning person. It's like, no, you convinced yourself you're not a morning person or I'm big bone. No, you <laughs> eat like shit. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, you're yeah. lazy. And it's like, it's weird they, because- People tell them the story. Like they, they, they basically yes. convince themselves of their own narrative or their own story. And, and I think I did that. I think I, I, I honestly, that's one of the things I don't spend much time on, like dwelling on the past because I think that everything that I did, I think that it, like going all in on mm -hmm. trying to become the best basketball player ever, helped me become obsessed with working out, which then led me to where I'm at. But I do wonder, I'm like, what if I would have had that confidence? Because Isaiah Thomas is a guy, and I like telling this story. So he was, was an NBA all-star, injuries kind of set him back, but great guy. And I grew up playing against him. And I'll never forget you that- You did, he was my boss at the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, yeah. so I, I grew up playing against him. He was a year older and then reclassified down to my age. Oh. And so um, we actually played him in college as well. But in, I remember an eighth grade tournament, um, Isaiah Thomas? I, I, Isaiah Thomas, like the new Isaiah Thomas. Oh, not okay. like old school That's Detroit Pistons. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> like the what? Boston like, Celtics. Yeah, yeah. Amir's so, uh, like, what? Yeah, no, First of all, that's why I got very two Isaiah. He was actually named after him. Okay, he was but, named after but him. But you're so. like, but I said, I said the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, you were like, dang, and, you got older quick. And, and yeah. you're like, yeah, Toronto Raptors. I'm like, Isaiah's he, like 100 in, now. Yeah, no, 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 no. So he played, yeah. So so basically, Sorry, so the younger Isaiah Thomas, the one that's my, that's Your age, okay. I think he's 30 now. I'm 29. But, um. He in eighth grade was like maybe five four, maybe oh, wow. small. Like he's now he's like five nine, and um, he's in the NBA and was averaged twenty eight points for a season, like all NBA performer. And I remember him telling one of my friends in the elevator, he's like, "Oh yeah, you know, like, what are you gonna do?" And he's like, "I'm gonna be an NBA player." And when he came back and told me, I was like, "You're gonna be an NBA? He's five foot four, right?" And I use that as an example. I'm like, "Wow, what if I had the same belief that he did? Because I was putting in more work." Mm -hmm. But I didn't have that same swagger, that same confidence, that same mindset of like, I'm gonna figure it out. So now in the business world, I always have that swagger. I always be, feel like I could figure things right, out, right, but like right. I didn't have that same confidence and swagger. And so that's why I spend so much time on shaping my players' mindsets because there's a lot of times where they they put themselves in a box. It's not really there. Like they'll, I, I hear this a lot with NBA players. Um, they'll say, yeah, my coach doesn't really want me to shoot. And I'd be like, no, 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 your coach doesn't want you to miss. If you shoot a bunch of shots and you make them, your coach wants that because your coach wants right. to extend his contract. They want to win. They want to. But you put this box around yourself because you don't trust right. yourself making the shot. If you shoot a dumb shot but know what's going in and it does go in, your coach isn't going to say anything as long as you consistently prove over and over again that you're going to make them. Right. The problem is you've developed a box around your mindset that your coach is boxing you in. Your coach isn't boxing you in. He's just basically telling you this is what we think you're capable of doing. And you've acted like it's a box when really it's more of a suggestion. Right. See, you're probably you're you're probably so extra with this all because subconsciously you know that you did that 100%. to yourself. 
for, for basketball. 100%. Right. So now you're so much more like focused on making sure that like you're, you're extra hypersensitive to it. Agree 100%. You know? I, think that, I, I think of that in life too. Like I think the happiness thing, yeah. I see so many of my friends that are not even just basketball players, but I see friends that are millionaires, even a couple billionaires, and they're not happy. And so when I look at that, I'm going, everything that I used to want, right. that, that doesn't bring you happiness. And I think that that's where people are trapped is, they're trapped in this mindset of, if I get this, then I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. Well, then once they get this, it's if I get this, and they're playing a never-ending game of tag, where it's tag, and instead of you now running away, it's tag, then you go chase the next person, chase the next person. Yeah. Chase, and so then you can never live that happy life. So for me, it's about number one, helping them as people then number two, helping them as players. And I feel like if you help the person and care about them as people more than you care about them as players, then not only are they going to become happier off the court, but they're going to be more successful on the court. I agree with that. By the way, did you ever end up meeting Michael Jordan? Because you seem to be a massive fan of his. I'm obsessed with him. Yeah, I've met him before, but I've never had a conversation with him. And it's funny because I met him twice, and both times, he's the only person I've been starstruck. Like, I've met every, like, like, Everybody famous that you can think of, like from the basketball world, the celebrity world, rappers, whatever. And he's the only person that like every time is still like, because it's the 10 year old boy in me that is like, so so I fell in love with basketball because I watched Michael Jordan. Yeah. You know, he also, I agree with you though. He does have that, what that X factor that probably I've never seen again in any sport. Like he just, I was in love with him. I had a huge crush on him as a little kid also. And I was never even a basketball fan, but there was something about him. So I'm with you on that one. When people talk about mindset, I think the biggest example is looking at when people have done really well and then maybe they fall like Tiger Woods, Mm -hmm. Tiger Woods, in my opinion, greatest golfer ever, most dominant golfer. Then he had an incident off the off the course. And then what happens is then he becomes beatable. And I remember there was, uh, that's why you said that you're, you're right. What you said earlier. And I agree that personal stuff, when people are not playing or doing something well, it's because something else is going on. hundred percent. And yeah. if you look at when he came back on the course, I'll never forget when he first, he, there was the first time he like blew like a, you know, back nine. Mm-hmm. And the guy, whoever had beat him, was on the, uh, I think it might've been Rory at the time, and he was really young, mm-hmm. and he was on the podium. And he said, yeah, he said, I don't fear, I don't feel, fear Tiger Woods. And when you looked at, there was a little documentary that somebody had put together where they basically interviewed all the people that were beating Tiger Woods going into the last day. And then Tiger Woods came back and beat them. And they were like, you don't understand, we're, we're up four strokes and every stroke is don't mess up. But when we're walking, the people are, tiger, tiger. You hear the roars, and he goes, you just literally crumble because you know you're not supposed to be tiger. Once he lost that edge, it's the same thing that everyone talks about the four-minute mile, you know what I mean? Once he broke the four-minute mile, yeah. but it's so true in sports. is like you just knew that Michael Jordan, he was going to tell you how he was going to beat you, then he was going to beat you, and that just – it made you kind of tense up. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it like gave you it basically like it gave you that fear factor too. And so I, I think that when people can remove the floaties is what I like I've said, when they kind of remove that and they don't have any fear, they're not worried, they're not stressed, they're just literally living so kind of peaceful. Like my definition of happiness is inner peace. When you're not wandering, you're not thinking, you're not worrying, you're not stressing, just and it's it's weird because people will be like, So you mean content? And I'm like, no, because I, I don't think you can have inner peace if you're completely right. content. I know it's weird because it's like, Isn't it's kind of the same like thing. Isn't content like complacent? Yeah, content, but. I would say content. I, I think like, it's you need to be happy where you're at while you're also happy where you're going. 
That's very, but the, you're saying things that, <clears throat> of course, everybody wants those things. But in real life, it doesn't work like that sometimes. Not always. It can. It's a, but it's a mindset. You have, I think that, not always. So I think it's a constant, um, like, it, you, you constantly have to remind yourself and talk to yourself and put yourself in that, in that space or that perspective. Because it's very easy when life really comes along and, and you know, you're stressed and your kids and, and your work and you need, you need money or you need that. You know, things happen. So my, this is why I'm saying this. What do you do daily? to kind of keep that mind with a, with, with a good perspective? I honestly think there's a couple things I do. One, I always, I think my little sister Lulu brought me so much perspective right, because right. I see how happy she is. So the weird thing is, so now she's 13 years old and she can't talk, but she can kind of communicate. Like my mom has, uh, you know, taught her like, if she needs food, she can grab a plate or if she wants like ice from the ice machine, she goes to the ice mm -hmm. machine. Like she understands certain yeah. things. If, if she wants certain movies, she'll like, fake cry if another one comes on so she can communicate with us but i just there's two things about lulu that that helped me one is they said she would never walk right you said my that. mom didn't believe that though my mom like loved her so much and believed in her so much that i remember my mom like taking her foot and like doing this and taking her other foot and doing this and be like look guys she's walking and we're like like mom we're not she's not walking well then like the next day same thing and eventually like she walked and when no one thought the doctor said no we were kind of like, come on, mom. But my mom believed in her so much that eventually she believed in herself enough to do it. Mm -hmm. So I look That's at that. And then the second thing is people all the time are like, oh, because she's, she does have, you know, she was born with some different like hydrocephalus overflowing water in the brain and it put pressure, you know, the water put pressure mm -hmm. on certain parts that damaged some things. And Shame. they, they're like, I'm so sorry. And we're like, sorry, she's the happiest person in the house because she wakes up happy. She watches her favorite show. She eats her favorite foods. Like, she lives the she's more blessed than all of us because she has no stresses and struggles because she's oblivious to them right right in a good way yeah and so i think that a lot of times we almost attract problems and we attract negativity and we attract or we're we just what we consume like it's weird but like if you want to stay fit you know to avoid certain foods but if you want to stay happy you don't avoid social media you don't avoid the news like i don't ever watch the news it's it's, it's a bad thing such a good point but my mom will call me and be like oh my God, are you safe? And I'm like, from what? She's like, there was just an earthquake in California and you're in California. I'm like, oh yeah, I kind of felt that. And she's like, do you not pay attention to anything? Or she'll like talk about something that happened overseas and I'm almost oblivious to it. And people will be like, well, you're like, that's not, you're not well-rounded. And I'm like, but I'm happy and I'm, I'm finding success in the areas that I want to find success. And I understand that you have to have some kind of cultural awareness because you don't want to let, like there's so many things that are going on in our world right now that are not good, but I honestly think because I don't consume that stuff on a daily basis that it's almost like I can form my own. Right. So you're basically saying that you limit your, your, your you limit the consumption of external forces that would get your mind or your, your space into a negative space. 100%. So you just, so, okay. So that's one. Give me one more. I think the other one, I'll use a dog analogy. So, um, my girlfriend and I, our dog's name is Rue. Mm -hmm. Rue loves chasing squirrels, okay? And so if we are just walking around the neighborhood, right. she can walk peacefully. As soon as she senses any kind of squirrel is around, she is going to be walking us instead of us walking her. And it's, she's gonna be pulling, she's gonna be tugging, she's gonna, like, that's what it is. So the reason I use that analogy is most people, there's so many stimuli that they don't mm -hmm. avoid and so then their mind goes like this, because as soon as Rue senses a squirrel, 
She wears the squirrel. That's all she's focused on. Right. She's not focused on walking anymore. She's not focused on going to the restroom. She's not going focused on going back home peacefully. Like she's not enjoying the walk. It's squirrel. And so most of us, I think, are in that same realm. We sit down we say, all right, I'm going to write a book. We start to write a book and we're like, ah, it's not perfect. Oh, let me check my phone. Let me see if, like, let me see if I can get motivation from Instagram. You're not getting motivation from Instagram. You just need a break because you're trying to distract yourself because you're not locking in. Right. And so focus. That's the other thing is I think that if you, fo- if you focus on the things that you actually want to focus on, then your mind's not going to wander to the things that you don't want it to focus on. Right. And but- that's where I'm at. Like I, I know what makes me happy. I know what brings me happiness. I know what elevates me. I know it. And that's what it's at. And so I think that most people are highly, highly distracted. And so they let their mind go to wherever the world takes it. Right instead of focusing on what they actually want to focus and, on. And absolutely, but that's why people have to put systems in place, like yep. myself and most people, and routines and habits to eliminate those types of distractions because exactly what you said, social media, when things are not going your way, you tend to like stop doing it and then move on to the next thing because you feel, it's an uncomfortable feeling. And, right? and this is the other thing, so to, take, to take it on from what you were saying, I think most people don't realize that when they say they're stressing, they're struggling, or say whatever, if you flip the situation, mm-hmm. so like I've heard people like literally, um, the, well, we were walking to New York City the other day, and somebody was pissed that they didn't win the lottery. And they were like, man, he's like, I've been playing for, you know, I've been playing for eight years, and I, I've never got any numbers. And they're like, you know, they're, they're really upset about that. And I was like, if you flip the situation, let me say I gave you every lottery ticket combination besides one, and that one ticket won, you'd be like, what? How did I lose? I had every other possible. And it's like, wait a second. What about when the roles are reversed? You had that one. You were shocked when you lost. Right. Why aren't you as shocked that you didn't win? Right, right, right. And so I look at, like, I'm always, I'm a big analogy guy, so yeah. you put it in place, no, but it's yeah. funny, like, it's, it is true. Like, if you had every other winning combination besides one, and that one combination won, you would be like mind blown. But when you have the one combination, you're still shocked. And it's like, why are you shocked? Right, you knew right, you weren't right. gonna win, you know what I mean? It's so- actually true, right, I get that. So, what? You, okay, so besides that, I have to ask you another question. I heard that you basically completely transformed yourself in the last couple of years. Your body composition, everything that you've done. So you must have certain habits and certain rituals that you do daily. What did you do? Like, what's your so whole thing? weird thing is now I'm in a phase where I'm actually trying to like eat like trash and do that so I can gain weight so that oh. I can do another transformation. Because what I do is I like to do these mental things with, with okay. people that follow me and, and fans and stuff like that. And so what I did was for one month, mm-hmm. I changed my eating and I worked out and I did 30 minutes of workouts. That's it. 30 minutes a day. Of what kind of workout? Just, I mean, like, I mean, we had a program, but it was like 30 minutes of like focused, like high intensity training. Like hit training? Yeah, kind of. I mean, it was, it was very, yes and no. I had knee surgery. So it was, we were trying to oh, get my knee back right. and we were doing kind of hit training. And then I just did my own diet. I didn't buy any books. I didn't do anything. Adam Friedman out in LA did my, my 30 minutes of strength training. And um, I lost 26 pounds in, in the month. And people were like, what? Because I was, I was this exact weight that I am now, um, a little bit, I was five pounds heavier than I am now, and I lost 26 pounds. They're like, what were you doing? Like, people were like, were you eating air? And yeah, yeah. what I was doing was, obviously I did the normal, you know, no dairy, no sugars, no fast food, no fried food, and only drank water. 
The other thing I did was I did um, from basically 9 p.m. till 10 a.m. I didn't eat at all. Um, oh, but so you did intermittent fasting. I did all of that stuff. And then the other thing I did was I just ate healthy. It's, it's crazy okay, that that's seems. That's not so crazy. So basically you did intermittent fasting and you did 30 minutes of exercise every day. But here's where a lot of people, I think, mess up. Okay. I don't. I didn't cheat at all. So like... I, I believe that 100% oh, I believe is you. a lot easier than 95%. Mm-hmm. And so most of the time what happens is people will say, I'm just going to have one chip, one snack, one whatever. And I use my drinking analogy. I do not drink. I've never tasted alcohol. I've been offered $10,000 for one shot and said no. Really? Which people are like, what? Are you like, you're ridiculous. You know what I mean? You have discipline. But what happens is if you do it once, one chip, one drink, then it becomes, okay, Not no longer are you not a drinker. Now you don't drink. Don't drinking is different than not a drinker. Mm-hmm. Not a drinker means I never do it. Don't drink means occasionally I can give in. And so I just don't give in. So like for me, when I was eating, I was eating like only vegetables. I was eating like every single day. No, like tell me sucked. what you were eating. I want to know. Yeah. So I mean, like I'm very picky too, which actually helped me, but I was doing like lily broccoli, cauliflower, carrots, um, asparagus. Like in the, um, give me your, did, did you eat? Cause you did, you did intermittent. So what time did you start eating? You said. So normally, so one of the things that we did, which was. Who's we? Uh, Adam and I. So oh, Adam. Adam oh, Adam I, did yeah. it with you though? Adam. No, he, he was, was the, the one trainer. that was like the trainer. Yeah. Okay. Um, I thought maybe you and your girlfriend or you and. No, it was just, Brent. it was just, it was just me. So I did the dieting on my own. He did the, the actual like workouts. Um, I'm but, so confused though. You said that it kind of hit, not really hit. So the reason I say knee. that is because it wasn't. I couldn't do anything full speed because, because right. of my so you weren't doing like You weren't doing high impact. I wasn't doing high impact. We were doing okay. a lot of stuff that was just like, for instance, we'd have band work and we'd just go fast bands for, you know, 60 seconds straight. And Where then, were you working out in LA? We were doing um, at the Mecca, Gold's Gym. Oh, okay. Yeah, so um, I was the only non-meathead yeah, <laughs> in there. Meathead, yeah. yeah, but... Um, but the dieting was the biggest thing because yeah. it's 80% of the... You know what I mean? I think so it's even more than it 80%. It could be, for sure. Yeah. But um, I was... The big thing that I learned was... Normally, when you go into kind of like uh, these fasting modes, you fast, but then you eat. And then once you work out, basically you, you burn off what you just ate. So mm-hmm. you eat something healthy, you burn it off. Anytime your body goes into starvation mode, it opens up the, the kind of the fat kind of you yeah. know, deposits. And so what I would do is I would make sure I would work out before I ate so that I was working off the bad fat before I put in the good, good food. Good fat, right. And so I think that that was one of the biggest changes. And it helped. My dad lost 100 pounds in one year. So I took my dad to Super Bowl um, wow. and Gatorade, it was one of my sponsors. And so Gatorade brought my dad and I to the Super Bowl two years ago. And um, they gave us all jackets, big, you know, yeah. Super Bowl jackets. And he couldn't fit in the 2XL. He couldn't zip it up. So he was like, you know what? I was like, dad, why don't you, why don't your goal to be to zip up the jacket? And he took it even a step further. And all he did was he ate better. Now he still drinks. Like if he watches, you know, football games, yeah. he's not the hundred percent. He's the, you know, he's yeah, in he the like 95%, yeah. but he w- started walking. So he walked five miles a day and he just was literally avoiding bad food. So with him, we did like, you take your meal and anytime you have a meal, half of it automatically gets in the container yeah. and uh, just working on limiting his portions. Number two was we did the no dairy, no bread, no pasta. And then he owns a, a meat shop and catering company. So he was like, I'm still eating red meat. He's still doing this, but just portioning out stuff. So high protein. And avoiding that stuff. And he lost a hundred pounds in a year. My mom just did a triathlon in Chicago, the Chicago triathlon. 
and she lost, she didn't get on a scale at the beginning, right. but she like is back down to her college soccer playing weight. And so like my whole family kind of does it where it's all mental challenges, but when we lock into something, we lock in. You lock in. You know what I mean? So are you, so I'm still on your diet then. So what did you eat for breakfast or? Honestly, just vegetables. Just I was vegetables? Just, I was eating vegetables. I was eating fish. I would eat chicken every once in a while, but it was more about the portion size and it was more about. How many calories would you say you were eating a day? No idea. See, that's, that's the other thing about me is like, I feel like too many people complicate the process. Like if you want to. Oh, I like, agree with yeah, that. You know I, I mean? don't like, count calories, but it sounds like to me why I'm even saying that is because if you're only eating vegetables, I'm, I was just saying that like my concern is you're not eating enough su like sustenance to yeah, actually no question. I would, have I would, energy. So, so my girlfriend's a vegetarian, so she okay. does well at preparing vegetables and stuff like that. But then also I would have chicken and stuff like that. I. My, I went back to the thing that we talked about earlier of, I used to do in college, until I watch X amount of film, or until I right. complete X amount, I'm yeah. not gonna eat. I would do that, and um, I would make sure that like I worked out before, I made sure this and that, but I think most people eat just because they think they're supposed to eat. So for instance, like you wake up, and what do you do? You eat breakfast. Why, is it because you're hungry, or is it because you just eat breakfast? Right. You're in a routine of eating breakfast. So I only ate when I was hungry. Mentally, I was trying to get to the point where I was only eating if I was hungry, and then I would only eat until it craved that appetite. Right. You know. So that's it's exactly you're basically like I say, training your brain. <clears throat> you're basically training your brain, is. and it's really hard when you're wired a certain way because of all all the experience and what you've done for so long. So, like anything, it's super difficult at the beginning, but then it gets easier once you kind of have some time under your. I, I really do believe that if you can learn how to control kind of your impulses yeah. and master your brain, I feel like anything's, that you can accomplish anything. And, and right. I think that it's why when I started doing business coaching, people at first were business owners that were basketball fans, mm -hmm. were drawn to me so that I could use basketball analogies. Right. And they also wanted to be around the NBA players. I was players. gonna say, probably, you probably attract a lot of like high power alpha males who were just like, want to work with you because or you work kick ass females too though because the well, biggest, I asked to train with you remember so I don't know if that's <laughs> me but it's it's because a lot of people are obsessed with results mm -hmm. success in their mind but they haven't figured out how to reach success and happiness and sandwich those two mm. so a lot of people I always say that everyone has a hidden truth everyone has a hidden truth so I'll give you an example when I first started training um, you know I was I was doing very well. And then when I started training NBA players, I was still doing well outside of the NBA players, but the NBA players, like we talked mm -hmm. about, like hadn't paid me early on, <laughs> but everyone thought they were. But you were happy were. with that, you said. I was, yeah. but my hidden truth was I didn't want to talk about money or how much they paid me because that was, I couldn't say, oh, well, yeah, I'm doing it for free. Well, like, yeah, well, anybody could train these guys for free. It's like, no, well, first of all, anyone couldn't train these guys for free. But second thing is, it was an embarrassing thing that I was like my hidden right. truth. So what I did was, I kind of, it actually worked out in my favor, but I did the whole pay me whatever you think it's worth because then when somebody says, how much does an NBA guy pay you? Ah, they just pay me whatever they think it's worth, whenever they want. Well, they just happen to not want to pay me, yeah. I guess, you know what I mean? But um, no, I mean, that's the truth is, everyone has a hidden truth. So a lot of people, they want you to think they're successful, but really they're not happy. Or they want you to think they're more successful than they really are. Or they want you to think that they're making more money than they really are. That's why people buy the jewelry and the, yeah. the cars and the Material houses and stuff, the, yeah. or they try to impress you with, you know, different things of like, oh, I can get you into this or I can get you into that. It's, it's all we're trying to do is we're trying to trick people into thinking 
that we're living the life that we really want mm -hmm. to live. And so what my... Well, people either do it by access or money. Those are the Most two the time, big for ones. Sure. And it's, I think it's always usually <clears throat> hidden because it's an insecurity of something else. 100%. Right? And so when you look at any, if you study depression, and I've studied it a lot, it's always the source. So most of the time, like somebody will say, you know, say you have somebody that's insecure in a relationship, they'll say, oh, it's because I had a bad boyfriend or girlfriend. But the truth is, they look even further back and their parents didn't love them the certain way, so they craved, mm -hmm. you know, love Validate. there, or their parents didn't love each other, or whatever. There was some way, way back when, when they developed insecurity because somebody that was that they were seeking approval from in their early mm -hmm. kind of years didn't give them that validation, and so then later on they've lived with it. And so I think that if you really go deeper to the source, like I always say, when somebody's like, say, I was coaching you in the business world, first thing I do is like, all right, let's evaluate your state you know state story strategy is kind of like you know the three things and it's like the story and state are so important before strategy because if i know where you've come from and we really go to your sources then we can rewire your brain from the jump mm -hmm. which then alters everything you know if you look at people that are clinically depressed usually people are like oh there was a moment but if you can replace your your like subconscious brain right before that moment you were actually happy isn't that called nlp yeah, there's different strategies right. of it, but that's one of the ways to do it is replace memories. And it's hard because it's not in your conscious, it's in your subconscious. Right. But if you if you can do that with people, they really get to the point where they can let go and they don't feel like they're entrapped with that, whatever's holding them back or whatever they're kind of trying to seek out, you know? Yeah, but that's hard to do. Like Really hard to do, but that's why I'm a, I think there's two ways to, to improve anything. One is a gradual change to a shock the system. Mm -hmm. And I'm one of those shock, shock the, the system, system kind of guys, as you can see, where I'm like, I'm very hard on people. I'm like, yo, let's go all in, but we can get crazy results if you go all in. And um, I did this consulting program with basketball trainers first. And um, I called it my next mentorship program. And it was basically, where do you want to go next in your career? Like, how can we help you take the next step? Right. And when we started it, I said, just so you know, the amount of money that you paid me, I promise you that we will make that money back and we will grossly do it. The average person in the first six months, 3X their business. Wow. So we were like, okay, these are like numbers. We're like, this is actually working better than we thought. You can't you know, right. expect that for everybody. But the reason was because I just didn't let them have excuses. I made sure that we really went back and said, what are the truths that you think are true that aren't really true? So they'd say, I lack gym space. So you've called every gym in the area. You've tried to make every deal that you can mm -hmm. in the area. You've called churches and offered donations for your gyms. Like you started going right, through. Right, right, right. And then I said, okay, wait a second. This isn't just a basketball thing. This is a everybody thing because so many people that, whether they're you know uh, very socially famous on on social media or whether they're financially successful or what, they're missing some component in life that otherwise they wouldn't be seeking out coaching. Otherwise they wouldn't. But the other thing is even ourselves, anybody that feels like they're in a good state, they feel like they have a good strategy, they feel like they have a good story that they're proud of, we can always go to another level. There's always another level. Oh, I level, agree. That's why the best always have coaches. Uh, I agree reason. 100%. For, for an exact reason. Well, oh my God, how long has this been? It's been like five hours, I think. <laughs> um, you've been great. Thank you. No, Thanks for having me on. No, I appreciate it. I really, I think had a, this is great. You've been absolutely wonderful. Um, how do people find you? So if, easy, if they yeah. want to know more, if, they, if there is any more. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the easiest way is my social media stuff, which is Drew Hanlon, D-R-E-W-H-A-N-L-E-N. -E um, and uh, we're doing some cool stuff this year. I've, I've 
to this point in my career, I've been so basketball focused. Um, but we, my 30th birthday is later this month. I know. Happy and, birthday. And uh, yours will be before. So happy birthday to you as well. Thank but you. Um, on my 30th birthday, we're launching finally publicly my corporate coaching. Normally, I've done it privately for everybody. So I'm going to start putting out a ton of my motivational mindset. And it's all research driven, all kind of different. Each month, we're going to do different challenges and stuff like that. So it's going to be cool. I'm going to go in that space. I love it. Even though I've kind of, people don't realize it sometimes. Like I do a ton of corporate speaking engagements and people are like, I didn't know you spoke. And I'm like, yeah, I do it privately because basketball has been the platform that I've chosen to help people with for a long time. But now I'm like, all right, I, I kind of am going from basketball to business then to but kind you, of everybody but you got a lot to say so i'm sure you're a great speaker i appreciate stuff. that no thank you it was very very good to have you on thank you you're welcome habits and hustle time to get it rolling stay up on the grind don't stop keep it going habits and hustle from nothing into something all out hosted by jennifer cohen visionaries tune in you can get to know them be inspired this is your moment excuses we ain't having that the habits and hustle podcast powered by habit nest this episode is brought to you by the yap media podcast network I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.